you guys know about the two hardest problems in computer science, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the two hardest problems in computer science are naming things, cache invalidation, and the off by one problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody expects a Spanish inquisition. That's right. This is a more than just podcast production. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin on the line in San Jose, California. Hello. Welcome to 2022, everybody. Woo-hoo. Wow, we made it. Yeah, so Jaime and I were just going to discuss it, but the so I have on the show notes here episode 343, and it there's an explanation behind that. Like we did, uh, I hosted a couple of um, developer interviews. Uh, Roustum from um, Agile Bits was the last uh, one, and that was episode 340. Somehow, Fireside made a 341, so I, I'm not sure how to clean that up or get rid of it or whatever. And then um, last week, and we're going to talk about it again today, uh, last week on the 9th of January was the 15th anniversary of the of Steve Jobs' announcement of the iPhone at Macworld, and so I replayed... The what what the iPhone means to me, which was our 10th anniversary show. Uh, hopefully, people enjoyed that, and that that became episode 342. So this is the this is episode three. What are we? 343. However, I think it's like the 342nd episode, maybe. Mm-hmm. So what were you going to ask me about? That, that, so maybe? I would agree with 342nd if you're saying that 341 is a weird glitch in, in the numbers burned. I I did not understand how you got 341. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, maybe I can use it again, but yeah, it's it's like the, like we were just talking about with, with creating IDs, the, I think what happened was I might've clicked on a, I have a, like a JavaScript bookmark thing that, that I use to create the show notes that, um, Fireside provides. And I think I might've clicked on it by mistake at some point and, and created a new episode with, without realizing it. So yeah, I didn't say happy new year to Harmony yet, but. It's not like I haven't seen him every week, almost, for like the last little while, except for the last two weeks. But Oh, by the way, uh, as an aside, since you mentioned that, uh, since I had to get Disney Plus to watch the Beatles documentary, which I oh, yeah. highly, yeah. highly, highly recommend, everyone should watch that. Yes, um, yes, I've studied it. I did spend some time over the break watching some of the stuff in Disney Plus that I, that I hadn't uh, watched before. And, and, and Mandalorian and, and that stuff, yeah, 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 yeah. Disney. So we we did a, we just did our Spockies uh, last week. Yeah, that's what uh, made me think of it. Yep. Yeah. So so um, you know when we I mean a lot of things were were close. I mean like a lot you know like which was the best movie, which was the best actor, which was the best you know best TV show. Those were you know there weren't really very many surprises for us. But but the Disney Plus compared to Apple TV and Netflix in terms of popularity, it was like. Was it something like sixty percent of the people voted for Disney Plus? I mean, mm-hmm. it was like a really big number, mm-hmm. you know. So, because well, yeah. they've got all the Marvel movies, they've got all the Star Trek stuff. And then now they have Stars as well, which is all that that some acquisition they had about old old movies and old shows and stuff. Mm. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a really it's a really I mean, plus you know, come on, it's Pinocchio and it's like you know Pollyanna and all that weird stuff that we used to watch and all the all the old Disney world wild world wide world of color stuff is in there too. I mean, not all of it, but I mean a fair amount of it. So 
Yeah, I used to watch that every Sunday. All righty. Uh, yeah, so we're coming back after uh, quite a while of a uh, bit of break. We've had some uh, several months, I think, since we did our last last live recorded episode, as it were, um, and with the three of us, that is. Uh, so, so this link I've got here, the first one here, is a bit of fact check, and this is on buying a MacBook Pro in 2021, which is now 2022. Um, but it's a nice little video by a dude named Dan. He covers, he compares the um, the various things about the um, buying a buying a MacBook. He compares uh, between M1s, Intels, and the, Mac, the Pro and the Macs uh, of the M1s as well. Um, battery life, things like uh, um, Xcode performance on the, on the various machines and talks about, you know, the different kinds of screens. So, um, I highly recommend watching this video. Like for instance, he, one point he makes is if you're in the market for like a 13 inch, you know, M1, that's sort of where your budget is. And you think, oh, but I got to have the fancy new mini mini LED high res screen, uh, on the 14, that's like a thousand dollar upgrade. And maybe that's not the right decision for you. Um, but he does talk about, you know, like, like his minimum advice for minimum configuration is 32 gigs of RAM. Um, he does point out and he gives a very good explanation of why the memory, memory use in, inside of an M1 is quite different than conventional computing. And we've talked about this before when, when the M1 was announced that, you know, the, the memory is actually right inside, very, very close, if not in the silicon, very close to it. Um, so, you know, pathways are faster and that kind of stuff. Well, it's, and, all, in, um, it's all in the silicon. Right. Yeah, it's in it's the all okay, yeah. I was I was going to hoping that the, the uh, integrated circuit guy would correct me, okay. but um, the and the other thing too is like and the difference between the the Max and the Pro it has to do with with uh, how it access it, it can access more memory and faster and plus it also has access to the the various GPU. So from a from a CPU to CPU comparison, there's there isn't much difference between the Pro and the Max. According, and he's got the nice little charts and stuff like that on the video. But when you when you talk about adding more memory, accessing faster cores and GPUs and stuff like that, the the, the Max is much more performant. He also looks at how how battery life is affected across the uh, four different configurations of of M M Apple silicons, I guess what you'd call it. So that's uh, that's a that's our fact check for. Uh, why would I put what, what, in the fact check? It's not really fact check. Yeah, I don't know why. That's that's follow up. Right? Speaking of Mac of MacBooks, though, has anyone bought one yet? An M1? We haven't talked in a while. I have a I have an M1 Air that I bought just before WWDC. I love it. Um, I've been having a problem lately, and, and I think that the uh, 13.1 Xcode has fixed it. So what was happening for me and a number of people that I saw online was that. If I like, first of all, the battery life is phenomenal. It's like runs two, three days. You know, if you're if you're just doing general computing, it, you know, you get a day and a half, two days out of a battery charge. Uh, no fan on it, so it's and it's super quiet, and it's generally pretty cool unless unless you're charging it, in which case it gets a bit warm. It gets warm, but it doesn't get crazy warm like the old Intel machines used to do. But the one bug I was having was that if I left Xcode running, like just opened up Xcode and just left it sitting there, and um, closed the lid and, you know, went to sleep or whatever, the next morning the battery would be 100% dead, mm. like zero power. Um, I seem to have fixed that in, in 13.1. So if you were struggling with that and you haven't updated the th- Xcode 13.1, I reckon, I think 13.2 is out. Wait, why would that be an Xcode? 
problem? I don't know. It, it, the only the only culprit that that we could sort of pinpoint was Xcode. If it, if you left Xcode running, your battery would be dead the next day if if you didn't plug it in, right? If you didn't charge it. Oh, so maybe it was doing some network calls, pinging something all night long, which Xcode does, right? It's yeah, constantly it? checking checking mm-hmm. that you got the right uh, you know certificates and all that. Um, ah, right. Yeah. Yeah. There was some background task that was, that was basically running, draining the power. Cause I mean, like the screen was off cause the lids closed and all that stuff. Right. So it was just a really annoying little surprise, but like I said, it, it so far it seems to be fixed. So, yeah. So yeah. I've been having a very strange problem with my, uh, M1 mini that, yeah, what's that? very interesting actually. Uh, so this is still my first gen mini that I bought. If, People have been listening for a while. They know my story of that. I bought an M1 Mini when they first came out with the intention of, of buying a, a MacBook Pro when they came out. Uh, the new ones came out. I, I still haven't bought it, but that's a different story. Uh, but anyway, uh, I've always had an issue with this thing, almost from day one, where every once in a while, it would just kernel panic and shut down oh, and, and restart. And it seemed to get better after some version of maybe it when when monterey came out or whatever i don't know it, it seemed to, it seemed to get better but it never completely went away well very recently it just it started getting a lot worse uh, to the point where it was it was doing this two or three times a day just kind of sitting there uh it would just kernel panic shut down and you know crash reports say nothing uh just the other are day wor- are you working on it at the time or just like sitting there it's just TV it's just sitting there i'm usually on my work machine and I'll come back and take a look at it and say, oh, wait a minute, this thing just restarted for, for no apparent reason. Just nothing was happening. So here's, here's the very interesting thing. Just a couple of days ago, my wireless Bluetooth trackpad seems to have died. It, it no longer would connect to the, to the Mini. Um, it, I just get connection refused every single time. You know, reboot it, reboot the the restart the the trackpad just every possible combination of restarting things nothing would fix it wouldn't connect it so i'm you know i'm forced to plug in a a wireless mouse until my new one gets shipped to me uh but the amazing thing is that i haven't gotten the kernel panic since since i stopped using this dying uh bluetooth trackpad is it it a third-party thing or apple one it's an apple one oh wow it's one of the uh, magic trackpad it's the older magic trackpad the you know the uh the square ones instead of the rectangular white ones it's the square so does it have like one. a battery battery yeah it's got the battery oh yep. the one that one yeah yep. that's the magic that's the first for gen yeah i have the yep. one with the lightning cable and i just keep the lightning cable plugged in yeah yeah, yeah. so it's interesting yeah so it almost seems well and almost definitely seems like it was something in the bluetooth module in the in the mini could be couldn't yeah. handle the fact that this thing was crapping out and it would just kernel panic all the time huh yeah weird yeah very weird weird okay cool anyway yeah i do not have an m1 um i think i think at the office they said that you know if you break your laptop or need a new one for whatever reason i think the new standard model is an m1 yeah but i haven't you know well, it, it would be a shame there. if your current one fell off your desk wouldn't it it's a shame that it was it was in that car that rolled off the cliff and burst into yeah, flames yeah. all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just be careful with your orange juice tomorrow morning when you're having breakfast, Jaime. <laughs> it was somehow waterlogged and completely burned at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Citric acid is not very good on computers. Um 
Alrighty, and then uh, so follow up here, another story I have as well, and this is actually from Apple's newsroom that Apple is suing the NSO group. I don't know if you remember we talked about Pegasus, I think a couple uh-huh. of episodes uh-huh. ago. Um, so they're suing the NSO group for, I mean, targeting Apple users, right? Which is you know great. I mean, from our perspective as as users, um, yeah, they were installing that you know the government sponsored, uh, I think is Israeli government, I believe, um, sponsored. Uh, surveillance technology that they're calling it here right so um yeah so apple has has put together some uh, some funds and they're going after them this is from uh november this is an old story but yeah i just happened to notice it a little while ago and thought it was an interesting story to bring forward here as follow-up thoughts comments nothing i mean it's it's uh scary stuff because you've got the state level actor scenario that we talk about uh, every once in a while of like look this is generally not an issue unless you've got you know the the resources of a state level actor attacking you and you're you're not the queen of england so odds are pretty good they're not going to notice little old me um but this sort of lowers that barrier quite a bit more so it's uninteresting having the multi-trillion dollar gorilla sort of fighting on our behalf for this yeah yeah for sure can i hey can i ask you a quick question about core data I've decided to rewrite device tracker with Swift UI. So I've, I've got, you know, I'm just working on the basics of it and then sort of drank some of the MVVM Kool-Aid and that kind of stuff. But I don't know if you remember the structure of the, the database. It's basically there's a device uh, entity and then there's a custom entity. And the device entity started out as having like 14 different val- fields in it, right? Mostly strings, right? So I, I wanted to have a bit more flexibility. I wanted to be able to let people customize, you know, like name and location are the only two fields that I think really are are pertinent that need to be with every record. So I created a one to many relationship between the device t- entity and the and the custom entity. And the custom entity has what kind of cell it is, whether it's editable or not, you know. And then uh, it has a, a name and a value, right, for each each record in there, right? And so, so yeah, so it's just a set of custom fields yeah makes sense yes and yep. and and that's you just hit the nail on the head it's a set basically so yeah. so on my main view i've got like you know just doing a table view and i'm just listing the name of the item and then i have a picture one of the one of the custom values is is whether it's a picture field or a picture cell or not right and i'm just storing this the string to the to the location inside the the store right like i mean physically i'm not storing the images in the database i'm storing the images on the file system right mm-hmm Anyway, so I'm going through this thing. So I'm so I, I'm struggling with trying to get the. Uh, I keep like, when I tried to grab just the image. I'm looking at the way I did it in Core Data, or sorry, in, in Objective C, and it makes sense. It's pulling it from a set, looking to see what the cell type is, and then getting the path, and then turning that into uh, a UI image, right, or a UI image view, and straightforward. In SwiftUI, it's not so much because SwiftUI has image and they have async image. And so image, you you can pass in a UI image, right? So you can create a UI image from a string and then pass it in. So that's fine. So I I was doing that. And, but every time I ran the app, I would run into this huge memory problem where it would create like a thousand (laughs) images. I'm like, well, then I'm, I'm, I'm holding it wrong kind of thing. Right. So I went back to the, I went, started, started working back on the detail view, because the detail view, I'd just go get a record and I display it, and then I get the 14 fields that go along with, 14 custom fields that go along with each record as well, right? Just display those in a table view. And I got that going. But the problem I'm having is when I'm pulling, so I'm just passing the custom, I'm calling it custom fields, as a set, right? 
and it's basically just, you know, from the manage optic context or whatever you call it, it's just a set of, of fields, as you said, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is, I'm, when I, when I in, and it could be a Swift thing, could be a Swift UI thing, but when I go to grab and walk, like do a for reach or whatever to walk through that set and just display the fields, um, it tells me that I need to, it needs to adopt like random accessible something or other protocol, right? So the question I have is, if I've got, um, so, and, and I'm using the, the, you know, the default let Xcode build the model for me kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, that, that built-in thing they added about four years ago. Mm-hmm. So if I want to uh, have that particular set adopt a protocol, do I need to make my own model file for it? Uh, you can just extend the set to... Oh, extend and make an extend extension. Extend the okay, set. Yeah. The, yeah, to adopt the, the custom, protocol. The custom, like I'm making the custom entity in a set of customs, right? Or well, whatever, right. Right. So, so core data is still going to return you a set of customs. Uh, and well, even forget about that. It's going to, re- it's, it's going to define a, an interface for custom for you. Right. So I wouldn't mess with that. I would just use what it gives you and then extend that or. So make an extension on custom or make an extension on it, it sounds that? like that's what you wanted, right? You want an extension on custom to handle some other stuff. What do you? What do you? Yeah, do? yeah. Like I want to be able to pull out. I want to be able to pull out an image. I want to be able to display. I also want the user to be able to change the type, the fields that are stored, right? Because it was originally designed as a as a thing for storing IT related stuff, right? Yeah. Well, if you if you want to add extra methods, like to pull out an image or something, just to make it more convenient, then that's absolutely a, a reason to extend to custom. Okay. Yeah, just make an extension on custom. Um, What was the other part that you said about you want to? Well, so uh, because what I've what I've actually been able to do is if I just if I just pull from the view model, right, then I can I can get it returns me every custom set. Like it includes it's just a set of a whole like every record. I only have two records in my current database uh, sample for sample, but I'm getting all you know I'm getting two sets of of each record, right? So I need to basically just look at the one custom object that i'm passing into the view and then walk and, and step through that with a for each right so i think that, i think that's pretty much it i think I, I just the question the main question for me right now was was how do i get the custom to adopt the protocol i think that oh yeah just extend it yeah absolutely extend. Yep. okay cool yep. all right yep. fair enough yep that's our tip for the day yeah there you go um, yeah, because I mean, like, it's, it's, you know, it's, I just, you know, I, I read all this documentation from people and I Google these answers and I, and I never get, like, nobody has, just has a straightforward answer, right? It's always <laughs> like, oh, well, if you want to do this and, you know, if you want to make a business card app, no, no, I just want an answer to the question. Like, how do I, <laughs> how do I either adopt a protocol or how do I step through the set? Right, yeah. Sort of thing, right? Well, yeah, the answer is probably out there somewhere. You just have to know how to ask the question. Yeah. yeah exactly. Things like Stack Overflow. That's, that's half the problem. Yeah, 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 that's true. When you ask me, I know the questions to ask you to figure out exactly what. Yeah, I know <laughs> what you mean. My, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, and and trust me, I've been I've been thinking about how to ask you this question for like a week. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I keep thinking, should I ask Mark? Should I ask Mark? No, I should be. I should put on my big boy pants and try to figure it out myself. You know. Yeah. Well, you should always <laughs> try to figure it out yourself first, of course. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, I've gotten to the, like like the thing about it is is like you know the problem I had with this memory leak was okay. I'm I'm obviously. I'm obviously doing one or two extra steps that I shouldn't ought to be doing, right? Like, for instance, you know, I've already, when I've, when I've made the request, I've already gotten, 
uh, or from when I fetch the results, I've already gotten a chunk of data. I should look at that chunk of data as opposed to just going back and trying to do it again. And it's kind of marrying the this whole new, you know, like I said, the Kool-Aid about the MVVM, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's marrying that sort of approach to to this. Whereas, like, you know, for me, like... I mean, if you think back to it, like when I first built Device Tracker, it was a core data app and I was using a table view controller. Well, table right. view controllers came out of the box, right? Right. And used fetch right. results controllers, which were and you, awesome yeah, and you didn't time. and you yeah. didn't do any you didn't have to do any like UI stuff because you know, if you if you just declared table view the UI would automatically I didn't even use storyboards or anything. I just it just generated a table view for me, right? Like cuz that's just the way uh, iOS worked back in the early, right. early or iPhone OS or worked in the early days, right? Yeah, at, at Swift UI and, and Core Data. Full disclosure: I haven't actually done a Swift UI with Core Data app yet, but I know people do. But but I think there's a whole bunch of extra levels of of complexity in some sense. In that Swift UI is very much depends on on the idea of immutable copies of things right yes right yeah uh, whereas yeah. core data is you've got these ns managed objects which are very much mutable uh class structures yeah. right not, not structures class classes yeah and and it's it's there's there's this interface of well how do you go how do you go from something that's immutable and 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 a struct generally uh yeah. back at inter interact with something that's that's a bunch of of class objects sitting in in a managed object context. Well, it raises an interesting question that I've been kind of I've, I've been observing what people do and and tell you and advise you about on you know on MVVM versus you know just straight up Swift UI. Swift UI, it seems to me Apple wants you to use um, structs and they they want you to to have the you know the basically the the whole like we talked about this earlier in the early days when we were trying to figure out what they were doing under the hood is. They're basically just, you know, um, ch- looking at it for a change in either the mo- the model or or the UI, and and redrawing the entire interface or drawing the whole thing that the user sees, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. From a struct, right? And 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 by nature, they're immutable. And then whenever you look at when I here's the que- here's the question. So any, whenever I look at any type of MVVM workflow that uses Swift UI, the view model is always a class. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, my question is, why? Why is it always a class? Is it because because classes are immutable and they're extendable and all that kind of stuff, or or inheritance and all that nice stuff as well, or is it just is just just the nature of the view of the MVVM model that or the MVV design pattern? Well, it's definitely not that. Um, like, why can't but, I use a struct as a, as a view model? It's my question. Well, you can. Of course, you can. Okay. Well, see, I have not seen a single example of of how to do that yet. But so. you have to. Yeah. This you is, have to make this it mutable. Is, this is what I was alluding to, and you know, so we've done some stuff with this. And I've never, I've never been completely satisfied with how we do it, but we we have a la- in, in the work that I've been doing lately. We have a layer that's that's uh, that's it is the core data data layer. So it had this this object. This is typically a class. Uh, it handles uh, it it owns the manage object contexts and. And it knows about all of your managed object classes. Then, but we don't ever vend those classes to the rest of the app. So, the, so if you have a, a subclass of a managed object, uh, it never leaves this core data layer. So, in that, whenever you want the information from that, we do a call that just takes the set of 
of classes that we're interested in. So it, it essentially does the fetch internally, converts those to a set of immutable structs that it returns. Oh, okay. Right. If you want to, if you ever want to change it, you go the other way. You say, "Hey, uh, edit this." You, you tell the core data layer, "Edit, edit this thing with this ID." So you have to reference things by IDs uh, and make this change. And it goes in, changes the core data managed object, writes it to the database, whatever it needs to do, uh, and then it will return a new immutable struct with the new information. And to me, yeah, it fits the the formal structure well of how you're supposed to think about these things, but it's a little bit clumsy because there's a lot of conversions of things. And yeah, I know that creating structs are, are cheap uh, and we're not actually creating new managed objects ever. Yeah, we're, we're actually updating the, the, the managed objects when we need to. Uh, and that's hidden from the rest of the world. So that kind of preserves the immutableness to the other app and anything in the UI. Uh, but it, but it is this extra layer of conversion. We're we're conversion. We're con- we're converting things all the time, and it it to me it feels a little bit clumsy at times. But so you, you hit another you hit on another point that I've been kind of mulling around in my head is and mm-hmm. and was, again another question for Mark is is um so you mentioned ID like there's an ID in there. Yeah. So do you inherently get an ID for each record in Core Data, or because I have noticed in, in like I've I've used a couple of tools to sort of open up the, the SQL database, SQL Lite database, and look at it, right? And yeah, I do see that each record has a, has a number beside it. Like, so is there a unique ID that you can reference? Well, sure. So there's there is the uh, managed object. I forget exactly what it's called now. Um, it, I think it's just called NS, uh, managed object ID or something like that. I, I forget the actual name, but but, but yes, there, there is there is, there, is a, there is a handle I can do that if I want to go get unique, the picture from the third record. I can use that reference. Yeah, there is a unique ID uh, associated with every NS managed, not only with every managed, NS managed object, but but the but the actual. So remember, an NS managed object is just a kind of a snapshot in within an NS managed context, managed object context of some element that's in the database. Uh, and so you can have, if you have multiple managed object contexts, which you need to do if you're on multiple threads or there's other reasons to, even on even if you're just working on the main thread, you might have multiple managed object contexts that are independent of each other. There can be an NS managed object in each of those that each represents the same object that's in the database, but they can actually have different values at a certain amount of time, you know, because because you haven't written to the database or or synced from the database, right? Because right. there's because the managed object context sits above the you know the persistent um, uh, uh, container, right? Uh, so 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 then the question is, well, how do you how do you ever connect an NS managed object in one context with an NS managed object in another context? This is especially a problem when doing multi-threading because you can't cross thread boundaries with with a managed object context. Uh, so what you have to u- do is use this NS managed object ID, and there's there's even a uh, a method on um, on the managed object context that's like existing object with managed object ID that lets you get a get a version in your context of this particular thing. So, oh, okay, yeah, so okay, you can yeah. always do that. So one, yeah. So one way to do this is uh, what you're what you're talking about. One way to do this is just keep a field on your immutable struct that represents your managed object, mm-hmm. and just assign the managed object ID 
to that field whenever you create a new one. And then you can always so use do that I need to do I need to like make my own UUID value for well, it or do I can okay. I just use okay. that so that value. that's the next step. So so that thing you can always do what I just said with the existing one that core data assigns. You can always do that. Okay. okay. But okay. I generally do an extra level. I, I generally have a U a UDID uh, that's associated uh, with each object that I actually store in the database and use that as a reference outside. So that's something yeah. that, that I create when I create the NS managed object. Uh, initially, well, when I create a new managed object that I'm going to insert in the database, I will create a UDID right. uh, the first time and, and use, I, I tend to use that. Um, now, is it necessarily any better than using the existing core data one? Not necessarily, um, but maybe force of habit is I always assign an ID uh, yeah, to yeah. to every no, object. Would, yeah, yeah, I would I would do the same thing too if I was if I was in control of the the schema and stuff like that. But yeah. so I mean, because because I know that with the with the CloudKit one that I'm doing, I'm using a UDI UDID to keep track of which object I'm managing or dealing with at the time, because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't aware of that there's this deeper level ID. Yeah. Oh, le- actually, let me, let me interrupt you for one second, because I just realized why, why I do that <laughs> without even thinking about why I did that before. Uh, so the, the UDI, if you're ever syncing with a, with a backend server, this becomes very critical, because the, the NS managed object ID in your local database is assigned by core data. Internally, yeah. Internally, you can't, you can't assign it. So, so if you ever have an object that's coming from a server that you want to put in the database and associate that, say, from one device to a different device and sync it mm-hmm. using this unique ID, well, mm-hmm. you can't use the NS managed object ID for that because that's oh, different right. on yeah, every yeah. local device. But the, well, see, this is the thing with CloudKit. You're, you're doing the same thing. You're using a CK record ID or something like that yep. To, yep. to handle it in the, in the cloud. And so I guess, I guess when... Like if I have my my core data instance in my iPhone, and then I have the cloud kit in the middle, and then I have another instance on my iPad. Yep. They may in fact not have the same internal ID, right? They will. They will for sure have a different NS manage NS manage object ID for sure. Right. One hundred percent. It will be different. okay. Yeah. So that's another yeah. reason why to use an external UID. Yep. To, like when you're handling it. Yep. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. That's way too much code for this show. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's the coding portion of the show. That's the code part of the show. Now we can carry on. Yep. All right, and so yeah, we, we I want to talk to uh, l- uh, the fact that uh, this is um, we're recording on the twelfth uh, of January, and the ninth of January was the fifteenth anniversary of the annou- Apple Steve Jobs announcement at MacWorld uh, in San Francisco of the iPhone, and uh, we did uh, we did an episode uh, in our t- on the tenth anniversary. We all got together and talked about you know what we thought about the uh, the iPhone. And how it's changed our lives. I just want to sort of do a recap here now that we're at the 15th anniversary of where we stand with uh, our thoughts on the iPhone in general. I mean, like, obviously, it's it's led to a lot of really cool things. You know, like we've got the, you know, the iPads. The iPad was part of the original. Actually, I should put a, put a link here to uh, Randy Ritchie's uh, summation. I should, I should talk about this one. Um he did a, a a piece a couple of days ago, or, or and released on the anniversary of the of the the fifteenth anniversary last week, um, talking about all this. He'd sort of done a, a compilation of all the sort of things that went into making the iPhone, and initially it was uh, Steve Jobs' desire to make an iPad-like device, right, like a, a you know a window or like a tablet-type computer. 
And that led to the development of the iPhone. And then, you know, people like um, uh, Scott Forstall came through. He was doing, he was working on the browsers and he came in to the project and talk about Project Purple, which was the, there were, apparently there were a couple of rival um, groups working on, on the technology. And, um, you know, like uh, Ken Casita with the keyboard thing that we now have, the, the virtual keyboard. Um, and going through, goes through all the sort of different steps that went into making the actual iPhone. But um, I think the the day that you know Steve, uh, I think we probably I don't know if you've probably seen this a thousand times. I know I have is the the announcement of the um, of the iPhone um, like one as an iPod as a as a you know breaking uh, amazing new phone and an internet device, right? And it's funny to think about it now, like 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 if Apple came forward with, you know, it's three things. It's an iPod, it's a phone, it's an internet device. I mean, like iPods, do we really even use iPods anymore? You know, 15 years later, so. Can you even, can you even buy an iPod anymore? Uh, I think there is an iPod model. Actually, that's a good question. I don't even know. Let's find out. Let's go to the Apple store. Buy an iPod. I think there's a, a, a seventh gen one. I, I searched for iPod on apple.com Apple. and I got buy yeah. iPod touch and Apple TV plus included for three months when you buy an iPod touch. So oh, cool. So there is, yeah, an it iPod like touch let is me buy. Gen, I think, right? But on, there is no listing for iPod on the top bar next no, with Mac, no. iPad, iPhone, watch, AirPods. Full speed starting at 249 Canadian. Yeah, they, they don't certainly don't make it easy. Um, but it looks mm. like it will let me go through. You get uh, 32 gigs at 199, 128 gigs at 299, and 256 gig at 399 US. And it looks like the product red is right there on the front. It's not like a special item. <laughs> completely notch free that's true notch free that's true it looks like an iphone like i guess an 8 it looks close to it like an iphone 8 runs it, ios 14 according yeah, to this, uh, it, this it looks like there is no way to browse to the page for the ipod you have to search for it oh uh, yeah yeah that's funny we'll have a link in the show notes for those people driving at home it's like an in and out burger secret menu i guess yeah <laughs> yeah for sure oh. You know, I, I do know that uh, Xavier had an, iP- an iPod for a number of years as his sort of main device, and and he's now he's now rocking an iPhone. But yeah, for a while there, he and I think he had to get he had to get an iPhone when he got an Apple Watch. Like he got one of the hand me downs from one of us, and uh, when he got the watch, he had to have get get a proper phone because he can't you know pair a, an iPod with a with a watch. I should say. Cool. Yeah. So so yeah. So what do you think about like how would how would I mean. <laughs> It's hard to sort of say where we are with with the uh, oh, and it, it, another interesting thing that uh, Rennie Richie talked about in the sh- in the the announcement is that on the stage they had some guy come from Google on the app on the Apple iPhone, but not realizing Steve Jobs didn't know at the time that Google was actually also working on Android at the time. Mm, yeah, so that's a fun. So, what do you think about the phone in general? About the iPhone, I think it's it, yeah. it was, it's a good thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty solid. Led to to you know career changes for everybody on this uh, yeah, podcast, as well as you know probably most people who, who listen to this show as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and we talked about uh, if you go back and listen to that episode. I mean, Mark wasn't really doing iPhone development at the time. Jaime wasn't even, I think you, iPhone 4 was your first iPhone, right? When you came back? When the you came 4S, because I remember the, the controversy on the interwebs when people were like, what? 
Why is it not the five? It should be the five because oh, it was the yeah. fifth model. Oh right. Yeah, they yeah, thought for the, me, they thought the three S was just a placeholder to let them catch up to make the numbers align correctly. That's right. Really? Or just to confuse uh, Android? Yeah. The three S. Well, yeah. yeah. And for me, like my first entry was was the the iPad. So I think three point five was when I first got into iOS three point five, I guess, or iPhone three point five. And then I think four, because four came up pretty quick on the heels of the iPad, right? So iOS four. Yeah. So I well, it was iPhone. OS back then. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I started my first time developing was iPhone OS 2, uh, but 3 came out pretty soon after that. And yes, 4 was the first one that the iPad ran on, but there were two different versions of 4 at one time. Yeah. I think we've talked yeah. about this before. There was the iPhone only version and the I- and then the uh, iPad version of 4, and then they merged them all together into some later version of 4, if I remember correctly. Yeah, definitely changed changed it. I think it's changed everybody's sort of thing. But I, and it's funny because I think you know, in terms of product announcements, I mean, there really hasn't been in the fifteen years has there been anything equivalent to the iPhone in terms of like its its sort of paradigm shift of of a, of a technology like the phone or internet device or whatever. I mean, you know, like solar panels for your roof, like that. You know, that's not really set the world on fire. We have um, we have some. We're looking soon to have autonomous cars, right? Because um, I know that most of the people who are involved in in uh, electronic vehicles and electronic vehicles have sort of taken over a bit. I think every car manufacturer now has one, and a lot of people I know in San Francisco, California area have have them. But you don't have one yet, Mark, though. I do not. As far as I, know. No. I mean, nobody and really that, has autonomous cars yet. I mean, some they're on the road, is still testing, and, yeah. and like Tesla, you can buy the self driving package. But, yeah. Oh, but yeah. you you still can't like you can't just like jump in the back seat and take a nap and say go take yeah. work. You, you can't. It's not like that yet. It's mm-hmm. that doesn't exist yet. No, I know, but but it, I think that's that's sort of where you know with taxis and Uber and Amazon and um, I was I was listening to a stock guy talk about stock investments, talking about you know Waymo is probably the best. You know Waymo being Google or Alphabet uh, being the sort of the, the front runner in terms of of that kind of technology, and you know, there's also the the idea. I think I think the Apple Car idea, whatever it, whatever it ends up being, we we never know with Apple what what it's going to end up surfacing as. But there is, I think it even has a name for the the car technology that they're talking about. Um, it's like Triad or Sapphire or something. I, I can't remember the name, but I've heard it recently been talked about in the press and stuff. Right? Is it not familiar? Oh, with that? Apple's, oh, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. So, so waiting for the white 16 gig model, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get the aluminum car when it comes out. I don't think I want the uh, stainless steel one. Space gray. Space gray. Yeah, definitely space gray for sure. Yeah. Space gray, all the things. I guess they all could right, do speak- like a, like a Bondi blue one that's semi-transparent. I never really considered that until we started that's talking true. about yeah, the they iPod. Could do. Mm. Yeah, they could do. And you can't really hide, you can't, you wouldn't be able to use it for surveillance, like sitting on the side of the street, you know, as a, Watching a house or something, you wouldn't be able to do that. Or could you? you. You, You're just so obvious that you just, that nobody even thinks that you could possibly be (laughs) doing anything surveillance like. (laughs) True. True. Yeah. Well, if your name is Ace Ventura, maybe. Hmm. Um, Well, speaking of of technologies that that are potentially dead, what's your story there, Mark, about? Yeah. So uh, there was a fairly big announcement. this past week that uh, Uber 
has canceled their their watch development. So their Apple Watch development. So I, I guess the I guess the the Apple Watch app is still in the store, but if you try to run it now, all you do is just get a message that says, "Hey, just use the iPhone app. We're no longer supporting this." So so they've pretty much decided that just supporting the Apple Watch is is no longer a thing. It's not really important to them. Well, did they say what the actual could you like hail a cab from or hail a car from your watch before? I I think works? you could. I, I actually never used it, and and that actually you know leads into the the main topic that I want to talk about is was it, there's there was yeah. another article in Nine to Five Mac uh, by um, by Ben Lovejoy, the title mm-hmm. being Apple Watch Apps: Their Abandonment Neither Surprises Nor Worries Me, and yeah. it's a pretty interesting article. He's basically saying that yeah, you know, apps on the watch were never never really a a thing. It never really caught on. It never really took off. And you tend to use your watch, or, and most people. Uh, he's he's saying, and I, I would tend to agree with him. Use their watch for a couple of different things, either either just like things like um, you know Apple Pay or just kind of quick response kind of things, uh, or just passively getting content like not- notifications and things like that. And and there's really just not a lot of use for apps on the watch. I mean, I I never, I don't think I've ever once, honestly, except for just playing a little bit, installed a an Apple watch app that I actually use. I use the Apple one sometimes, but I've never, there's no third party one that I ever use. And so I'm curious about you guys. You guys were always much more into the, into the watch than I was. Yeah. So I'm curious what your thoughts on that are. I mean, do you actually use apps and Apple watch? Well, I do have, I do actually have a a sort of a a soapbox to get on about this too, but um, yeah, I mean, there are a handful of apps that I use on a regular basis. I mean, you obviously use the, you know, the, the walk. I walk my dog every day, so I use the exercise thing. And, and then, mm-hmm. you know, I use Swarm. Um, I use Overcast when I'm listening to podcasts. Hmm. Um, okay. When I was taking the streetcar, I would use the um, the Rocket app, which is a, an app. Rocket is, Red Rocket is what we call our streetcars here in Toronto. Um And then I use the August Lock uh, app to open and close my, my uh, house, my door. Um, what else have I used? But the, my, my, what I want to rant about is, is, oh, and, and I get the best, be, the bedtime notifications every day. And sometimes I'll send messages from my, from my watch, but again, that's an Apple app, like you said, right? But the, the one thing that really I, I'm finding really annoying is, and 90, 99% of my watch is used for notifications. And what I've noticed is that when I'm walking the dog and I'm listening to a podcast or an audio book, I don't use, I use Overcast and I use an app called Libby to listen to audiobooks. Whenever my watch gets a notification or whenever I like hit like a, a, kilo, a kilometer walk or two kilometers walk or whatever, I get a, no, a buzz or notification on my phone. It stops the audio playback, right? And it's annoying. I've started, you know, because now I'm wearing gloves and everything. It's a real pain in the butt. But I've learned to say, hey, followed by the word Siri you know, play, and then it just resumes playing the audio or whatever I was, whatever I was listening to. So I don't know, if, uh, Jaime, if you've ever noticed that kind of thing happen to you, or, or and mm-hmm. if anybody listening to the show knows a solution to have these notifications not stop the playback, would be great, right? Yeah, even, even timers will cause yeah, your timer, audio to yeah. pause. Yeah. Yeah. So if we have uh, intrepid Apple engineers out there who are looking for something to do, yeah, running low on your, on your sprint work... <laughs> Please go make this change for us. Yeah, or file a radar for us, please. <laughs> I guess we could file file our own radar. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a it, and it's only been like in the last maybe iOS fourteen or I guess watch OS seven and watch OS eight 
um, era that this I've noticed this, right? Because, you know, I've been walking my dog for nine years now, right? So longer than I've had a watch? I don't know. Like they didn't set the audio, the NS audio session correctly. Yeah, what, what, yeah what I was going to say, is this, an, is this an AV player thing? Um, what do you, uh, what about you, honey? What's your watch activity like? Let's see. So I'm taking a look at what I've got installed and then the, the base apps. So I've used the, um, the health monitoring stuff, like the blood oxygen, the heart, the um, ECG stuff. Um, but those are all Apple apps, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking yeah. at the Apple. So the it's spoilers, the vast majority of the stuff I use is Apple apps. Yeah. Um, stocks occasionally, usually if I've got nothing else to do, <laughs> I want to take my phone out of my pocket. Um, the workout stuff for walking the dog. Then for the third party stuff that I have on here that I'm actively using, I use Distractionless. It's a um, not Pareto Pomodoro app to like 25 minutes work, five minute break. 25 minutes work, five minute break sort of thing manages that. And then longer breaks in between. I've also got Facebook Messenger on here um, just because that tends to be used a lot beyond SMS, uh, iMessage. And then there's some other ones that I, I used to use. Um, I don't use the the Overcast app for my watch because I, I don't have a cellular watch. I don't have any reason to have my watch away from my phone. Um, I tried one password way back in the day and I am uh, obviously a user and a big fan of one password. I just didn't dig the, the use of one password on the watch for me. I feel like I, I, I didn't. What, what can you do with it though? I think you could pull up your, um, Oh God, this has been so long. What, what, what could you do? I think you could see like what your passwords were and, and oh, okay, I think you right, could unlock yeah. stuff. Um, you know, it, it didn't do enough for me to, to warrant using, even though I am a, a one password user. And then, well, see, I don't know. I don't know if this is a, um, a because I have the one password app installed on my watch. But anytime I'm, and I, I do I do a touch ID activity on my on my and I use my watch obviously to unlock my Mac as well. That's another thing too, right? But when I'm uh, whenever I'm asked to do anything involving touch ID, I can double tap the home button or the, the yeah the power home button I'm going to call it on the watch to authenticate, right? Uh, but I can also with one password. One password also vibrates my watch and i can double tap the home button to you know approve a, a password unlock or whatever right if i'm going to a website or something mm-hmm. so that's nice because i don't have to reach over to, I mean, especially for someone like mark who's like a, a clamshell lid a clamshell user like with the lid closed right you wouldn't have access to your touch id button right i'm a mac mini user these days i don't have a i don't have a touch id yeah well do you use one password i do not i use cloud kit password I cloud oh password. yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah. i'm using the keychain for that yeah yep. yeah but yeah i guess i guess the I, the curious question for me is, is because i have a t2 chip and jaime has a t2 chip as well maybe that's why are you you know what i'm talking about jaime when you double tap the home button or you ever get that on your watch um i think i turned on the feature to do the one password stuff with watch if i remember correctly but since i i use one password on my iphone which has Face ID on my iPad, which has Touch ID because I've got an older um, iPad Pro, and then on my my um, my personal or work laptops, they both have Touch ID buttons on them. So there there just wasn't room in my life for one password on my watch. That makes sense. And looking at this, I rounding things out. I've got a a smart home kind of thing that turns on like lights and stuff that I can use for my watch. Yeah, it's true. HomeKit as well works on the watch too. Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess the thing is like it to me. I think the you know 
I think we were we were all excited about the watch when it first came out. I remember the 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 drive everybody was around that I hung around with was looking to build the watch apps and stuff like that. But I think the reality is is that it's kind of like a remote control device for your phone or your Mac, really, right? I think that's the the primary reason for a watch, other than telling the time and weather, you know. Yeah, I think it's and making calls. I make calls sometimes. Sometimes I'll answer my phone on my watch as well. Mm. Well, it, it's definitely good for the fitness stuff. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and uh, and really the only thing I ever, not that I wear it that much, but the other thing that I do use it for, which actually did come in handy during the <laughs> the pandemic, uh, was, was Apple pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So you, even before that, yeah. yeah with, uh, when you're wearing a mask and when you have to pull out your phone, face ID doesn't work. You have to type in your password. Well, on the watch, it's just way easier. You just kind of hold it up and boom, it just works. Yeah, no, I was I was using Apple Pay on my watch even before long before the pandemic came. But yeah, you're 100 percent right. If I if I can, I'm, I find it annoying when I actually have to use a keypad to pay for something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, ooh, I have to touch that thing. Gross. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. since they allowed the setting for Face ID when you're wearing a watch, and assuming you've got your watch unlocked and nearby, then you can continue to use Face ID with your Mm, that's on. true that's true so yeah. it works for that and i have uh the third gen airpods that i got uh, as a christmas gift and i use the watch to control the volume because those airpods don't have volume control on the airpods themselves oh you can't like do, do you not t- double tap them to answer calls and stuff like that or you can answer i mean you can answer calls you can you know pause audio skip forward skip backwards but I think older AirPods had some sort of touch sensitivity for um, volume control, I think. Um, I, I didn't have them, so somebody correct me if I'm wrong. But the current ones have more like the um, like the Taptic Engine sort of thing in them. So it, when you, right. you press on them, it feels like you're hitting a button, even though there is no actual button. So here, here's a question for you, all of you, and that comes back to the iPhone, is how many phone calls have you made in the last month? Yeah, not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Not not many. No, not how many. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of it's other all... than calling like the bank or something like that. I can't think of any any calls that I've actually made. I've I've answered calls cuz like, you know, doctors appointments and stuff like that, but yeah, nothing really. It's all, you know, text-based messaging of some sort and when there's live interactivity, it's probably some sort of video call and not not telephone thing. It might be FaceTime, it might be uh, Facebook Messenger or Kakao Talk or other thing or Zoom or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. All right, let's move on to how many we got first Visual Studio Code. Yeah, so uh, this came out over the holidays um, on the Swift forums uh, post by, uh, oh my God, I should know his actual name. It's Tim's actual oh, name. Oh, Tim. It's my friend Tim. Tim, yes, British Tim. <laughs> what is his actual yeah, name? <laughs> he's uh, Tim from Ray Wunderlich. I know him. Exactly. Uh, well, there's some fact check right there, but nevertheless, I he thought is you were announced. Tim from Ray Wunderlich, Tim. I, I'm Tim number one. He's Tim number two. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I actually have a picture of him on. Um, I'll, I'll look it up all on my photos because I have I've met him at San Francisco, I mean, or San Jose, I guess. Yeah. So he's announced this um, extension or or plugin for Visual Studio Code that uh, lets you do some Swift stuff. It looks like it's focused around Swift packages. I've not tried this myself, but it is kind of nice to have an alternative to Xcode when you're when you're doing stuff. Or uh, if you're like me, you could do a lot of stuff in VS Code. It's kind of nice to not have to fire up Xcode just to do a little bit of Swift stuff. 
So I'm going to get this installed on my machine and, and try it out. Sure. Does it's it, nice. does it do like uh code hinting and stuff like that as well? Or I think it does because they, uh, somewhere in here, I saw that they had the LSP stuff, the language server protocol. Is that what that is? I think they'd implemented stuff to get, uh, they, they say code completion, um, find references, simple search. So I'll have to try this out and uh, see. He says he's been using it on uh, some of his vapor projects. Remember the oh, server cool, side yeah. framework mm-hmm. vapor? So I imagine it's going to get better over time. It's uh, it's free. It's pretty easy to install on uh, Visual Studio Code. I've unfortunately not had a chance to use this. Oh, there yeah, Swift ver- uses- version 0.1.0. Like- Swift support uses the SourceKit LSP language server protocol. This ah, is the, cool. the fancy pants stuff that lets all these code editors give um, code completion and hinting and everything for languages that they were never built out of the box to support. Nice. So here's the real-time follow-up. You're going to laugh, but on my phone I have him down as Tim C. <laughs> His last name is Condon, Tim Condon. Right. From the UK of UK. Um, all right. And you got another one here for us about uh, health and things. Yeah, this one, I'll do my best to roughly describe, and you don't have to geek out in it as much as, as I do. Uh, so in my day job, I deal with uh, JSON Web Tokens or JWTs. It's a nice way to to compactly share tokens, like secure access tokens for APIs. And so when I saw this, uh, what is this, a Medium blog post by a um, medical doctor named Vishnu Ravi entitled, How Do Verifiable Vaccination Records with Smart, all caps, Smart Health Cards Work? So I actually have one of these for my COVID vaccinations that I got through um, through Walmart, through their pharmacy. And I like was very curious to see how this works. And then I started reading through this blog post and say, oh, I, I sort of get it. I'm not familiar with some of the um, sort of health standards when it comes to JSON, but mm-hmm. JSON's JSON, right? I'm like, okay, cool. That's, that's a patient. This is, you know, a vaccination record. And I could see how they sort of bundle things, turn it into a JSON web token or JWT. And then key thing there is that they sign it so you can tell that it hasn't been tampered with using some public keys. And then you can even turn it into fancy pants QR codes. And then this guy's article goes even further to say, cool, now let's do it from the other side to see how you would read out that information. Um, so it's not terribly, uh, you know, happily other than, you know, I was kind of wondering if I'd be able to take a look at my own card that I have installed on my phone, um, see if I could read it out using some of the stuff he's doing. But Kind of a nice little uh, off the beaten path thing to read. Found this. It's apparently from June of last year, but I didn't discover it until I was reading around on stuff during the holidays. Cool. So that's pretty raises an interesting thing here because we in Canada have um, QR code based um, vaccine records, right? And and I think in iOS fifteen point two, they added the ability that when you scan the QR code, like it, I think the previous version would put it into your health your health file on your phone but but now it creates a wallet card so i don't know if you guys have that but if you if you you go to do something Mm -hmm. you just open up the wallet card and you go to your your vaccination card and and it automatically reads and and shows the dates of all your your vaccines and your boosters and it's got the qr code and so i've had i've had people read that like when i've gone to a movie or something like that i've had them read the card to make sure that that it's a legit code and just print it off in my my home printer at home 
And so, and the other thing too is I had added a shortcut on my on my thing to show my vaccine initially, but so then I just scanned my driver's license, and so last time I went to a movie, I had them scan my thing, and then I just showed them the image of my driver's license. We don't have digital licenses here yet; they're coming, but but that was super convenient for me. So, are you? Do you got you, Mark? You said you have a QR code based wallet card. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly what you described. We have the same thing, and you, Hami, as well. Yeah. In fact, this very article says many organizations, including Walmart in the state of California. So I kind of guessed that, that Mark probably had this. I have yep. mine. I guess Washington State decided to participate. I happened to get my vaccinations through Walmart's pharmacy. So I have the, the little fancy uh, Apple health record along with the Apple wallets uh, uh, card for this. And I believe it's well, the, the smart health card. I kind of remember that terminology on the um uh, the email that Walmart's pharmacy had sent and say, Hey, you can now get your record on this sort of thing. Cool. Yeah. I've often wondered how to, how to do like wallet cards. And I know we looked at those when that sort of technology first came out, but I think I remember vaguely remember doing our reading a tutorial on Ray Warner, like about making wallet cards, passcode. It was called, was it called passcode or something like that? Uh, passbook or? was passbook back in the, right. back in the day. I don't know if it's still called that. Maybe it's pass kit. Maybe it's probably the framework. That sounds Maybe, right. Uh, yeah. 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 So this one is is kind of interesting because sort of the key thing to all of this is the use of a public and private key pair. Ah, uh, nice. So yeah. these these records are uh, digitally signed, so you can tell that it's not been tampered with, and you tell using the uh, public key to verify that you know this was in fact signed using the private key. The one sort of flaw that exists, and I I think a teammate told me that this had happened in like somewhere in Europe, like Italy or something, is that you have to, without any, if you're the provider, not, not you as an individual, if you're the provider, you must keep that private key private. If it ever leaks, it means that anybody can falsify those documents. So but that's true. Device. That's true for pretty much the entire internet, right? The entire internet is based on the same technology. Mm-hmm. And, and if you ever, ever let your private key out, then everything's compromised. So. It's not unique to them, but it is true <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's one of those things where there's a a unique sort of threat model here where you have the the unfortunate combination of um like I don't know what healthcare is like in, in Canada. Maybe they're super great, but like healthcare IT in the United States is terrible. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's usually <laughs> the lowest common denominator kind of technology. Yeah. So uh the procedures to keep something like a private key private are doubtful in my mind, along with the very strong incentive for nefarious people to try to find and hack into this sort of stuff and be like, hey, I think Joe Bob has probably got the private, you know, private key just stored right on his desktop. Let's see if yeah. I can give him some malware. Somebody, somebody, find the somebody wrote it down on a, on, a, on a yellow sticky note on their, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> on the, exactly. Yeah. On their computer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it, it's true in, in anything government related here tends to be tends to be suspect to these kind of things as well. But um, we also have a, an app that uh, anybody from in, in Ontario can download called Verify Ontario, which lets you read the health card information. Right. So if you have a small like like if you go to a bit, small business person could download this and store it on their phone. And then when people are coming in and out of the store, they can read the boosters if they want to, right? So, or, or val- validate that it's a legitimate, you know? Yeah. Presumably the protocol is, is public and cause anyone can take the public, the public key and, and read this thing. Uh, 
So presumably, yeah, anyone can can get this protocol and write whatever code they want to to read the thing, right? That's 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 kind of how it's supposed to work, actually. Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. And you got one more. <laughs> so I've been doing Wordle. I don't know about you guys, but I, I sort of discovered it. Well, I was trying to figure out what these images that you see on Twitter were about, right? So I started doing those. Yeah, Tim, you chose a really good time to uh, reconvene us around the, um, the the iPhone announcement. And then it gives us an opportunity to look back at the many years we've been doing this podcast and what the App Store has been like and how it has evolved. So I am only vaguely familiar personally with wordle because i have seen people talking about the wordle game on twitter and it just so happened that i saw this verge article entitled uh, wordle copycat creator apologizes for ripping off the popular free word game uh, and apparently apple has removed those apps from the app store and this strikes me as a whole new ball game for the really? app store where i remember the 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 old days where if you had something popular it, they were going to be copycat cat clones left and well, right. I, was, I was calling it the i was calling it the oh look at that they're gone yeah um, flappy bird remember how many clones yeah, there were i still see a word there's nobody a word knew what here. threes was because 2048 was the hot yeah. clone that, <laughs> that, yeah. that that got way better in a nobody remembers what hydrox is but everybody knows oreos sort of way by the way, we still have Wordle apps on the Canadian App Store. I don't know if it's it's true over there, but yeah, because I saw Charles Perry tweeted about this this morning about how Apple is like he sort of made a comment about the fact that there still seems to be a number of these apps on the App Store, and I asked him which one's a legit one. He said none. There is the only it only exists in this this one obscure U, uh, UK website, right? I'll have a link in the show notes for people if you want to try it out. But yeah, it's 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 the Flappy Birds of of twenty twenty two for sure. I'm just was surprised because the, I I did not know that Apple would remove knockoff games. Like there's a difference well, between yeah. fraudulent of like, hey, we're pretending to be this particular game, right? Like we're we're pretending to be uh, a Super Mario game. It's like, well, you're not Nintendo, so you don't own the rights to that, right? That's different yeah. than somebody created a word game and we've created a game with very similar, if not outright identical, identical mechanics. Yeah. yeah, I've never. Yeah. In my memory, remember Apple removing apps from the App Store for that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, so the way it works is, as as far as I know, is um, there's a word that gets published. It's it's basically five characters long, right? And you get you get six six tries to sort of figure out what the word is, and you just randomly put a five letter word in, and it tells you um, your hits and misses. It tells you whether one of the letters you chose is actually in the final solution and it gives you, gives it a color and it tells you if the other letters are not in the word at all. So from that, you can sort of like, a, like, I don't know if you remember playing mastermind, where you try to figure out a code that somebody's created. Um, and you just go through the various steps and then, you know, if it, if it lights up green, then that is the right word in the right position. And so you basically have six six attempts to get to figure out what the word is, and that's and then what people are posting online is after you've finished making the solution, it it's you can show how many if you did it in three steps, you know more power to you. You get to brag about the fact that you figured it out in three steps. But so it's I mean it's not you know it it's a bit of crossword kind of you know playability like in that from that point of view. But it's kind of like wheel of fortune after the without the wheel part. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's very, very similar. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not, 
you're not going to raise your IQ by playing this game, but or anything like that, right? And and I think it, I've been noticing a lot of people are complaining about like blocking these these uh, these posts on uh, online just because I guess everybody's doing it, right? Um, but one funny one that I found was, and I've been doing it. I played it a couple of times so far. This is a game that somebody came up with, and it's and uh, I'll have to look up his name, but he you 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 get 26 letters, and you just have to choose what the letter of the day is. I'll let you think about that. So you just click a letter and it's yes or no, <laughs> whether that's the right letter or not. So, you, you know, you can, you can try 26 times to get this letter, this uh, thing. And um, one of my friends on Twitter said, you know, that I, he, instead of trying to figure out like how many times it took you to figure out what the letter is, he likes to look at it as from the point of view of, of trying to avoid the right letter. Right. So Ed, Ed Jeff is the guy who hosts the, uh, the letter of the day, Ed Jefferson. Uh, and he's called it literal. <laughs> Letter, little, letter, letter with an L E at the end. Letteral. So yeah, just sort of. Uh, it's more of a sort of a tongue firmly planted in cheek version of the game. Hilarious. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to our pick. So, I'll, so my my pick is follow up, and it's something I've been waiting for like most of the time I've been working on an iPad, and that is Swift Playgrounds 4.0 has finally shipped. It shipped in uh, middle of December, and uh, of course, within five minutes, Paul Hudson of HackingWithSmith.com had a, uh, a, a sample and a video and a tutorial on how to use Swift UI to build an app that you could publish to the App Store right away, right? And, and it's funny because I don't know if you, if you guys are, are you guys familiar with the IT crowd? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. name of the app that he creates is called Friend Face. Do you guys remember the Friend Face episode from IT Crowd? Yeah, I don't think I saw that one. <laughs> That's one of the one where they all get addicted to to this this basically the Facebook knockoff, right? Um, and they're all sitting there in the in the office playing Friend Face all day long. But um, yeah, so I thought it was funny that he chose that as the name of his app. But yeah, so this is just. Purely starting up, like, so you, when you fire up Swift Playgrounds on the iPad only, it doesn't work on the Mac version. But, uh, yeah, you just go into, go into the Swift Playgrounds and you get, when you create a new document, you get to choose whether you want to create a blank document to play around with Swift or if you want to make an app. And it gives you like a little app, uh, app icon template. You can upload a piece of art or you can use some of the pre-built apps. You can choose a tint color for the, the basic theme of the app. Um, and yeah, you write your views in, uh, right inside of Swift, Swift Playgrounds and, and off you go. I don't know if you can do things like core data apps and stuff like that. Like I, I do remember we did try, we did do some core data stuff in Swift Playgrounds when it first came out. I think there was a way of, um, importing the frameworks. Like not every framework is going to be importable into, into a Swift Playground, at least at this point. But yeah, I think, and I recall recently, I don't know if I have an example here, but I think I did see a post from somebody of the very first app that was written, or one of the first apps, I'm sure there's many of them, that was written purely in Swift UI in Swift Playgrounds and published to the App Store. So I think there already are apps on the App Store that were created with this tool. So so if you're, you know, and of course it, you know, does all the sort of things. It's, it's not Xcode in any stretch of the word, but um, it does quite a bit of good uh, code hinting and that kind of stuff. Uh, if you're familiar with Swift UI, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Um, it it doesn't have a canvas view, but it has a, um, I forget what they call it. Um, if you look it up, actually, probably, maybe I should open my uh, playgrounds and tell you what it is. Let's see. I don't know. But anyway, I've got this friend face app that I've got that I'm telling you about is a single, it's basically looks like a, a Pinterest sort of knockoff. Um, and it is 31 lines of code to create an app. But there's some stuff happening under the hood too. And like I said, you, you choose a, 
an icon and a theme color and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, you can upload images and so I have images loaded in the in the resources section of the app, right? I didn't actually I haven't created a um, way to upload phone uh, images or not, but I've uploaded sounds and according to you know looking at the way uh, Paul's advice to do this, right? so it's using the same you know uh, my app or the at app at at main is is uh, created in a file and away you go. So pretty cool. So just just it's just like building a Swift UI app on the. Uh, on the phone, so yeah, definitely check out. Uh, I mean, it is a bit awkward writing code on the uh, on the iPad. I mean, it, they've done a great job, um, and it's it's funny because I, I was just doing a I just read a book uh, recently. I was, I was looking for some some resources and trying to get my head wrapped around a few um, ideas in in SwiftUI that that weren't kind of gelling for me. Uh, so I got I found this book on the at the library Toronto Library where I get free O'Reilly books um, called Head First Swift, and it was. It was written, or Head First Swift UI, I think it is. And it was written, obviously, with this in mind. It was probably written with the beta, because I got to a point where he starts talking about async and await, and um, Playgrounds didn't support async await until this version of, of Playgrounds came out. Um, but anyway, so it was a really, really interesting thing. And the entire, that entire book, Head First Swift UI, and I'll put a link in the show notes to it, is completely done in Swift Playgrounds. It's not doesn't use Xcode at all. So if you're you know, if you don't, even if you just have an iPad or, or even just the Mac version of, of Swift Playgrounds and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to get into the, the whole heavy lifting that's involved with Xcode, not that it's that heavy. Um, if you want to get an introduction to writing Swift, uh, I definitely recommend uh, that book as well. And my next pick is, again, and this is sort of an update. I don't know if it's been, it's been a refresh. They, they keep, um, the developer group keeps refreshing uh this stuff but uh this is just an update of the apple design resources and um somebody and the reason was pointed out to me was they've added a bunch of mac os 12 um there's a sketch library uh, of ui elements there's design templates for sketch and for uh, adobe xd and there's also production templates for swift or sketch and xd and photoshop as well and so not only just for the mac but they also have for ipad they have for the iOS devices uh, and I, iPad, obviously. So you can create like app icons and templates for that kind of stuff, as well as the watch app. If you want to build a watch app that nobody's going to use, I'm kidding. Um, also tvOS, um, parallax view previewing for, for the Mac, uh, as well as a parallel exporter for uh, Photoshop and uh, different technologies to talk about, like AR, Apple AirPlay, app, you know, Apple Pay template, the badges that you can put on your websites to to um, create things like resources, like sign in with Apple, that kind of stuff. Um, designing Siri stuff, HomeKit stuff, um, and as well as wallet cards, which we were just talking about a little, a little while ago. And then, of course, at the bottom, they've got the the various uh, fonts that the San Francisco fonts. Uh, you know, pro, compact, mono, and also an Arabic set, uh, as well as New York. And uh, then they've also got a listing or attachments to the, um, the uh, um, what do you call it, SF symbols, uh, version 3.2, and for uh, still as well for 2.1, which is the uh, one that was on the earlier versions of, um, let me see, Catalina. Yeah, the 3.21 is the later later one. But yeah, from 2020, the um, November 2020 is the uh, SF symbols 2.1. So yeah, check out if you're into, if you need design resources or just need some templates for building apps. I think as well, I think I saw somewhere here that there are, um, 
screenshots or like uh usable um yeah product bezels has got here these are um uh like images of um iMacs or Macs or iPads or iPhones for you can use for your marketing where you basically pop your uh, screenshot of your app into it and it's got like the the device frame around the outside so you can um, create your product marketing as well so that's cool and there as well as badges and logos so this whole this link I've got here has a whole um, menu across the top which takes you to the various uh, various different things that you can check out so if you're looking for Mac OS or you're looking for product bezels or you're looking for SF symbols click at the top and I'll have a link in the show notes to the Apple Apple Design Resources. So that's me. And Jaime, do you have a pick? I do, and it feels like it's kind of timely given the uh, sort of anniversary of the iPhone introduction here. Um, there's a pretty nice mini documentary. It's about 30 minutes from The Verge entitled Springboard, The Secret History of the First Real Smartphone. So this follows the folks who left Palm, makers uh, of the Palm Pilot, to create a handspring and the visor and their way forward to create the palm, the palm trio when they came back together mm-hmm. as a company. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's pretty neat. So for, for those, uh, those of you kiddos whose birthdays, their birth years begin with twenties, you may not know that PDA did not mean public displays of affection, but <laughs> personal digital assistant. Uh, I had one of these, uh, not the, not the handspring. That was the, the cheaper one, but they had these, uh, Palm you know, pilot. The, well, the, 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 palm this was pilot. a competitor to the Palm pilot made by people who oh, left yeah. Palm because they were yeah, upset. The company yeah. wasn't doing right. stuff. And they yep. had this cool sort of module, physical hardware module extension thing, kind of similar to, this is going to be hard for the kiddos too. So back when we used to have game cartridges and you would plug them into your video game system, like a Game Boy or something, they had that sort of expansion port there. So they talk about all sorts of things that we take for granted today, you know, largely because of the iPhone and other modern smartphones, like you know having a music player with you, having maps and being able to to make phone calls from a device that can you know show you movies and stuff. Uh, it, it's kind of an interesting sort of look back at that period of time and how the, you know, the modern smartphone definitely and definitively began, uh, we say 15 years ago with the introduction of this iPhone, but, uh, smartphones altogether started before that kind yeah. of really started like the, the, the sort of uh, proto smartphone, uh, was definitely the trio. I, I remember business folks having the trio. Yeah. So, I mean, just uh, we can talk about that for a minute. So I started off with a Newton. That was my first PDA. Um, and that was like 93, I think. I still have a 1.0 Newton. And then I had I upgraded that throughout the years. And then I think my house got broken into once and, and the thieving bastard stole my, my, um, my Newton. And at the time, the insurance company couldn't replace it. So they got me a Palm Pilot. And so I had to learn, and you know, of course, like, you know how we feel about Android, <laughs> you know, like you're either an iPhone or an Android guy, you were either a Newton or a Palm Pilot guy. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, so I had to begrudgingly learn Palm Pilot. And then the next level for me was BlackBerry. When I first started my business in 2005, um, I remember I was, I was, you know, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur running my own business. And you can imagine what entrepreneurs have to do when their business first starts. I was drywalling a ceiling. <laughs> And using my BlackBerry to talk to people on uh, on uh, business customers, right? So, like, I wasn't in that wasn't my business. My business was was Mac support and stuff like that. But I think it, I think it was hilarious that I was standing on top of a ladder using my BlackBerry. But 
Um, and I, I tell people my, my leg still vibrates, you know, in sympathy from having a BlackBerry for so many years. And then when, when um, the iPhone came out in 2007, um, a friend of mine was going, he worked for Rogers, he was going down to San Francisco, and he said, do I want a phone? I said, yeah. So I gave him 500 bucks, and he brought me back a phone. And in order to get it activated in, in um, Canada, we had to tell Rogers it was a trio. <laughs> a palm trio and then they would give us a data plan and then we could use it right so yeah i wonder i wonder how many uh how many i'm doing air quotes palm trios were running after the iphone got announced you know but yeah and then and then because our first iphone here in canada was the the iphone 3 which was in 2008 i guess yeah so lots of fun that's my connection to the, the but i do remember the handspring device it was like a palm knockoff right it was i think it was it did quite well for a while right yeah, it, it it had cool expandability. It was cheaper. Like, I really do recommend folks watching this documentary during like lunch or something. It is yeah. interesting to see how Palm went through all of these different acquisitions where they were acquired by other companies and they sort of lost their way. They ended up splitting the company into a hardware company and a software company and then recombining, I think, when they ended up acquiring Handspring. And it's it's just a weird mess. So you can see how they lost momentum there. But there there is an interesting story here about when they went to go talk to Steve Jobs. And at the time, Steve was talking about and I remember this, it was talking about the Mac as the center of your of your whole digital life. Mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Or documents, photos, videos, web, movies, music. And the the claim here from this documentary from the the former CEO is like, well, we went to go talk to him and said, we actually think this mobile device will be the center of your digital life with yeah. music, photos, videos, web, movies, and phones. So it's kind of a, a, you know, he said, she said kind of situation there, but it is interesting to, to sort of tickle the memories of, oh yeah, I, I, I do remember the, yeah. this is the center of financial, of your digital life. And now uh, I think the smartphone is definitely the center of my digital life and other things like, my uh we mentioned the watch my ipad my macbook pro they're they're almost peripherals to the phone in in many respects yeah it's funny i did a did a sales presentation presentation to our sales team once um i was the it person at the company and we did and they also used to walk around with day timers i remember those paper day timers where you mm, write your notes yep. down every day with the leather binders and, yeah yeah and we yep. were telling them mm-hmm. that you know we were trying to explain to them about the motorola motorola had a pager a two-line pager and blackberry had their two-line their first device was a two-line pager sort of idea right and you could read your email on you know two lines at a time and they're like there's no friggin' way i'm ever gonna do that and now of course they're all running around with iphones and android devices but um yeah, it's uh, interesting. And, and uh, so I do recommend a couple of things. One is watch the Rene Ritchie video because he also talks about this whole smartphone um, evolution as well. It led up to the creation of the of the the, iPad, the iPhone. Um, and apparently it was Steve Jobs was up to dinner with some guy who was like a VP at Microsoft and was talking to him about how they were going to come up with a tablet. And that kind of got Steve going on that. But I also want to point out episode 340 of More Than Just Code. We I talked to Roustam, um from uh, agile bits and they were palm developers and i know a lot of like a lot of uh palm like people who are ios developers now were also palm developers and there was a whole marketplace for that too people were making you know good bank doing that as well before long before the iphone so interesting because it was a whole like app market thing right so 
trying to remember some of the uh, Palm Pilot stuff. I don't know. I can, I can get, I gave my Palm Pilot to my nephew, and I haven't seen it since. But and there was the old, that whole other thing too is about syncing your data too. You had to sync your BlackBerry and your Palm Pilot to your Mac, and that, the Palm Pilot had like a serial cable you used to plug into your Mac, right? <laughs> so lots of fun. So I guess that's it for another week. So hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at DevWithTheHair. All right, and Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Email me at markr at smapsoft.com. All right, and my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me playing Wordle. Woo! So until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fireside.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, leave a comment on the website, or write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC and we may mention you on the show. Friends of the show can also join us on the podcast Slack channel. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Every dollar pledged helps a lot. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.